Well, no, I mean, you grabbed me last year to do an episode on an Untaiku podcast yep. for no reason. Because it was relating? It's not a sport. <laughs> it's not. It's not a sport. I mean, there are cosplay competitions, but... It's not very sporty. I don't even remember what episode it was. Uh, it's the one where the other half that was Love Alive. Oh, there it is. Yep, that was a very sports anime episode. <laughs> To manga in your ears. This is episode number. I don't know. We don't do that thing. Uh, <laughs> the song you heard at the beginning was "29" by Run River North. Um, it will have some prescience in the second half when we talk about Complex Age. But for this first half, we'll be talking about seven billion billion needles. Uh, Helen and April are here with me as always. Hello. And I'm Corey, by the way. Uh, seven billion needles was published by Vertical. Uh, a while ago, it's the the book books are out of print now, but you can get it digitally pretty easily. It is about this weird organism that shows up on Earth and accidentally kills and then brings back to life this girl, who then has to fight off the uh, forces of destiny slash evil that are trying to kill all life on Earth. But this thing that is in her is trying to maintain life on Earth. Um, it's, it's not a very complex series, I would say, but it is very uh, compelling, or at least compelling enough for me to just straight read it through the night in what was way too late before work night. Um, but you but do that all the time with manga, Corey. I do do that all the time with manga. I did it with <laughs> Harry Potter, too. I read that until, like, three in the morning sometimes, and that was not a good choice. But anyway, what did you two think of Seven Billion Needles? I think it's funny, when I was remembering the series, I've never seen Parasite, but a lot of the premise sounds awfully like Parasite, doesn't it? Yeah, that's definitely what I thought. That's definitely what it makes me think of. But up until this past week, I hadn't touched this series in a very long time. It seems like it came out a while ago. Yeah, I was still in college, and looking at the Wikipedia page, it says it was serialized from, like, 2008 to 2010. And the Wikipedia page is also telling me that it is partially inspired by a science fiction novel, but I don't think any of us have, here have read it. It's Needle by Hal Clement. Mm-mm. Nope. The copyright in the back says 2010 from Vertical, so that's probably when they released it. Mm-hmm. Seven years ago yeah. now. Yeah, it's been seven years. Wow. wow. <laughs> seven years? Seven billion needles? Exactly. <laughs> that was intentional. Um... Helen, you didn't get around to rereading it for this time? No, I didn't. And uh, when I read it the first time, I think I only had a chance to read the first two volumes, not the second two. I'm not quite sure why. Um, since I did like it, I think I just didn't have access to the second two volumes um, since my school was in a kind of a small town with yeah. limited manga resources. Yeah. And now these first two volumes you can get for pretty cheap, but the second two were like $50 each or something. Gosh. But hmm. I looked up... That's- they must have had a really small print run on those later volumes then if the demand's so high. Yeah, uh, but you can get the digital volumes I saw for like four or five bucks each on Kindle. So. 
That's I, read it, I read it digitally this time around because I have the first two, I think, but they are buried somewhere else that I did not get to in time for the podcast. Uh, <laughs> so I got them digitally. And I know uh, most volumes were about $4. Um, at the most, they were 5 And you could get the whole bundle, at least on Amazon, for like 18 bucks. Yeah. So. Oh, that's great. Uh, but was it worth it? I think so. I don't know. I'm a little on the fence about it. The first two volumes, I think, are what I originally read uh, back before this time. And I remember being on the fence about the series then, and I'm still on the fence about it, even having read it all now. So so what what puts you on the fence about the series? Um, gosh, I don't even know if I know. It, it felt a I, I know that you mentioned earlier that it was kind of not that complex or that it was pretty simple, but it, it, it just parts of it felt kind of all over the place. Um, for some reason, for me, the art was a little bit of an adjustment. It was a little rough, I think, in the beginning. Um, I definitely liked the main girl's backstory, especially the backstory with her dad and all that. I thought that was interesting, but I just, I don't know. I couldn't get into it completely. So what about you guys? Well, for me, I just started reading it and then, uh, the the books ended in enough of a cliffhanger that I wanted to continue reading it. But what I say, it's not that complex. It's just kind of this story about uh, these these two things that are fighting for like what they perceive to be their natural instinct. Like they don't have much consciousness or free will beyond this. And then the the main girl, whose name I have already forgotten, kind of puts that consciousness in them that they don't have to do this thing where they fight for all of eternity. So in some ways it's a very typical anime manga story. Like there's greater forces in the world, but one ordinary Japanese teenager can somehow solve all their problems. Yep. But it was executed very well. Mm -hmm. And when I read it, I seem to recall the pace actually went pretty quick as well, which kept me into it. Yeah, it's definitely a, a really quick read. Um, I think I read the whole thing in like an hour, and I read pretty fast, but still, an hour for four volumes is pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really fast. That's like 15 minutes of volume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took me about 90 minutes. I guess I read slower, uh, and they're each about 180 pages, so it's not like... So they're standard length. Yeah, it's not like they're <laughs> longer or shorter than... Uh, a typical volume, but they do have a smaller trim size, so I don't know if that's, like, some psychological thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> I always did like the covers that Vertical made for the series. Um, uh-huh, yeah. I don't know why they changed it from the Japanese cover, since the Japanese manga has a totally different cover, but they made the American versions of kind of, like, old pulp books, like old pulp science fi- sci-fi novels, yeah. and I always thought those looked really cool and stylish. They really stood out. Yeah, I really like these covers. And it has, like, the original Japanese instead of... Because it has some panels on here from the Japanese mm-hmm. instead of, like, the translated versions that are in the book. It's funny because in some ways it makes it seem very edgy, like, this is from Japan. You can see yeah, little snippets yeah. of the manga on there where it looks right. like there's body horror and destruction going on. You know, mm-hmm. this is edgy. Which it was... the, ma- the it, Japanese okay. volume cover, I can see it on Wikipedia. It looks a little more soft and flat and anime so maybe that's why they maybe they just really thought it would help the marketing a lot yeah it definitely looks a little more subdued i'm looking at it here too and it definitely looks yeah it looks a little different um but yeah you mentioned the the sort of body horror stuff and i mean it's probably been like seven years since i've looked at a at a volume of this but it was like a little more violent than i remembered i mean there's a lot of dismemberment and things like that that i 
didn't quite remember the first time that I read it, so. Yeah. I mean, I, I just looked at the the front or of the covers for the longest time. Like, I've had these volumes for a year or more. Um, and I thought it would be a little more of a horror manga, but uh, and while it is horror, it's not horror in the sense that I thought it would be. Because, like, it's, it's not like she's constantly under fear of these things, since she has the whatever parasite thing in her. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, she's not in fear the whole time. Because it seems like she finds out pretty quickly exactly what she's dealing with, or what needs to be done to deal with what's there. So it's not like she's running around uh, from these monsters and they're chasing her and she's trying to survive. It's, it, she finds out pretty quickly what needs to be done. Right. Mm-hmm. Although I seem to recall when I read, I thought there was like a lot of like unnamed random people being killed off. Am I remembering that right, or am I confusing of something else? Uh, I think near the end there was a bunch of unnamed random people that were killed, but, well, I say killed in quotes, uh, because she's given an, given an ultimatum where she has a chance to save them all. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone well, actually like that. Oh, wait, there's like a bunch of people in the school that die. <laughs> Uh-huh. That's probably what I'm remembering, then. Yeah. And it's like the entire basketball team or something, and then... Yeah! <laughs> that is never brought up again. <laughs> Very realistic there. Yeah. I guess they just all kind of head back to school, and it's just, you know... It can't be helped, this just happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a two-page spread of just blood everywhere. There's no trace of bodies, uh... That reminds me of an old meme from back when I started watching anime. It was um, commenting on how there was a lot of really um, edgelord, um, bloody, gory anime coming out at that time. So it was a running joke that each a- uh, anime character is 47 gallons of blood in there, which is just what that reminded me of. All this blood in their bodies. <laughs> could be. They, they could. <laughs> I specifically remember that that two page spread of like that. If I remembered one spread from the series, it's probably that one with the basketball team, just to show how memorable that particular scene was. Yeah, it has a lot of striking imagery in it, uh, just because there is like so much killing and stuff in it. Uh, the the manga begins with her scaring up at a meteor, and then being destroyed by it, and then waking up in a classroom. So it is quite weird. Yeah, I think weird is probably the best way to sum up this series, since you don't see a lot of sci-fi that's set in the modern day. It sounds a bit like an oxymoron, but you really can have modern day science fiction, but you don't see very much of it. Usually it's set like off in the future, like we're somewhere in space or there's mecha everywhere. So it is kind of a weird setting in that regard, since you can't call, you know, aliens fighting and killing people and possessing people anything other than sci-fi, really. But it doesn't... It doesn't go out of its way or try at all to explain why any of this is happening in <laughs> in a science fiction manner of trying to, you know, explain uh, explain it in a way that would make logical sense for science. Yeah. I mean, you have hard sci-fi, which goes into, like, really great detail about how everything works, and you do have light sci-fi, which either doesn't really care about the science as much, you know, just more loosey-goosey, or just doesn't care to explain it as much. There really is a variation within sci-fi for that. Right. But then there's the pagans that only want the hard sci-fi, and you know, anything else is just fantasy. Well, this is probably not the series for them, then. No. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's safe to say. 
Well, it didn't seem like uh, this manga made like a huge impression on either of you. I would, yeah, I would say not. I, I don't, I don't think that it was bad or anything. I just don't think that it left a huge impression. Maybe because it just went by so fast. Um, I feel like when it came out back in 2010, Vertical talked about it quite a bit. I think that's a lot of the reason why mm-hmm. I picked it up. And I can't, I mean, I can't believe it's been seven years, but I can't, I wonder what made uh, Vertical pick this particular series up. It's not bad. Just, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting thing and it's so short so maybe that was part of it too I know that Vertical um, at least at the time liked to pick up shorter series so maybe that was part of it too wasn't this one of their earlier pickups actually yeah it was pretty early yes that might have been as well they might have just been feeling out what kind of audiences were out there for more Mm. mature titles which has always been their go for and I feel like I did also see Vertical talking a lot about this when it first came out but I haven't really seen many people talking about it since I feel like it just it didn't really strike deeply with us or with a larger audience. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I know the my co-host on Taiku likes it a lot because he's quoted on the third volume. But <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Egg liked it because he licensed it, and it's weird enough <laughs> that he would probably like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is only four volumes, so it's not like it's a, it's a huge risk or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's de- it's definitely um, it's definitely a different one, and I I don't know if I'm completely if I completely understood towards the end with a lot of the animals and things. That's when it started kind of getting out of control, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. I'm just gonna read it to the end. So went yeah. kind of like Noah's Ark sort of, and I'm like, oh, I don't know where this is going. So yeah, that it almost sounds like we're discussing Lucifer the Biscuit Hammer again. <laughs> Yeah, that was quite strange. But yeah, yeah, they they eventually like just basically have a run in with a guy. <laughs> okay, that was definitely not in the volumes I read. <laughs> no, that was volume four. Yeah, it's a little yeah, it's a little bit later. <laughs> I think that's a good I think that's a good way to actually describe that though. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, any any closing thoughts on Seven Billion Needles before we take a break? I should really read more sci-fi manga. Really should. It's not a lot of sci-fi manga. No, there's not. People should really license more sci-fi manga. Mm-hmm. There we go. Um, final thoughts. I'm glad to have the chance to revisit this because I don't think that I would have. And it is a series that I'm I'm glad that I at least got to read and see what it was all about. Because I just I really remember Vertical pushing this one, so I'm glad I at least got the chance to uh, revisit it with you all. Yep. Same. Well, read it all for me. Uh, I know Chris, <laughs> I know Chris likes it a lot. Um, I really like this trim size for books because it's easier for my tiny hands to read it. Um, <laughs> and I think the the message, while simple, is still something that is uplifting and nice to read every so often in this weird sci-fi second. <sighs> well, all right. Uh, Seven Billion Needles by Nobuaki Tagano. Let's take a break. We'll be back to talk about Complex Age. Grease. 
Welcome back, everyone. Now we're going to talk about a recently ended series, Complex Age, which all three of us are really huge fans of. Like, I know, April, you've got a poll quote on the back of five out of the six volumes. I do. And it's, Corey, it's... <laughs> and Corey actually dragged me onto the Taiku podcast about a year ago just to talk about the first volume because was, we could. It was really good. It was really good, but Taiku Podcast is a sports podcast, and cosplay is not a sport. <laughs> As we learned, when I looked up the episode, this was the Complex Age and Love Life podcast, which <laughs> both of them are totally sports. <laughs> yep, being an idol is totally a sport. Yep. Anyway, so Complex Age is the story of Nagisa, who is a cosplayer in Japan. She's um, just turned 26 or so when the series has started, and she's cosplaying. She's been cosplaying for about 10 years at that point. She started when she was in high school. And Nagisa devotes herself to cosplay. It's basically her only hobby, which makes sense since a lot goes into making cosplays and wearing cosplays. And she's very perfectionist, both of her own appearance and of other cosplayers' appearances. Like, she makes some bitchy comments about some other cosplayers. And so Complex Age is a story primarily re revolving around her as she's growing up and trying to figure out what she wants to do with cosplay. Since cosplay is such an image-focused hobby, a lot of people start feeling a push in their mid-20s or so to stop cosplaying, to stop dressing up. And so she's already 26. Her best friend, Kimiko, who's been also doing it along with her for 10 years, is 26 and is engaged and is also starting to wonder. And they meet a couple of younger cosplayers, Aya and Siho. And Nagisa has a co-worker who turns out to be cosplaying who's even older than her. And so a lot of it is... One part, a story about her hobby, but her hobby as it's relating to her life as she's getting older. And it's kind of sad since 26 still is not very old at all. It's still very young. But yet, even when you are still young, a lot of times you feel that pressure to be an adult. And apparently being an adult means don't have fun hobbies. Yeah, well, in anime age, it's, it, 27 or 26 is pretty old since most of them are set in high school. So. Mm -hmm. You might get this perception that you're running out of characters to cosplay as because there's so few anime that are about adults. Or you can be like me and just look really young, and I and I go, oh, I want to cosplay this character, but I have to be older than this character to actually look the right age. <laughs> yeah, that's the secret right there. <laughs> At least it was for me. <laughs> yeah, and not Nagisa's favorite character to cosplay is one from a kids' show, even so, she feels especially self-conscious that even as much as she loves cosplaying this character, she's trying to look like more like. Six or ten, point six. <laughs> and the character is very short as well, so there's that, yeah, and now you say it's tall. Yeah, there's the insecurity of uh, her playing a very short character, even though she embodies it so well. Mm -hmm. Actually, for a series about cosplay, some people might expect that body image would be like this huge defining factor in the series, but it's actually not one of the main focuses. Like, there's a lot of references to how Nagi says dieting. And there's another character who puts on some weight and is trying to lose it back again and all of that. But I feel like a lot of people probably expect that this is all about, oh, it's unhealthy for your body. But that's actually definitely not the main aspect. It focuses a lot more on your just mental connection to cosplay, how you view it, how you view yourselves and others. Since we actually need one or two cosplayers who are even bitchier than Nagisa about cosplay. <laughs> Nobody like that character in Volume 4 anyway. Oh, they're just terrible. <laughs> Just terrible. <laughs> no, not Aya. It was um the girl oh. who popped up for like just that one volume who's on the cover of volume four. <sighs> she really only appears in that volume, so I don't remember her name off the top of the head, but oh, she just 
the one that has like the hair wrapped up in front of her? Yeah, the one who cosplays that character. Okay. We'd see her briefly in volume one or something. Yeah, since Nagisa bitches her out in volume one. And we actually do see her very briefly in the epilogue of volume six here for like a panel. So uh, I really like the manga a lot. I feel like it's the most accurate series I've ever seen about cosplay. Since I've seen a couple other mostly web comics about cosplay, and they just usually tend to get it totally wrong. Prior to this, Comic-Con was the closest thing I'd seen to getting, like, cosplay and con culture right. And it still is fairly accurate for the U.S. in some ways. But this one is so spot on that I keep wondering if the manga um, Yui um, Sakuma actually has cosplayed herself. <laughs> I don't know how she would find the time, though, since this was a weekly series, so... All three of us are in awe of just how she must have spent 52 straight weeks drawing a six-volume series. Yeah, that's definitely really intense. <laughs> mm-hmm. The character name was Ryu. Ryu, okay. Oh, that's right, man. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> finally found me in the volume. I would never have remembered that. Mm, yeah, there's no way. <laughs> but yeah, 52 straight weeks of making manga, uh, presumably not cosplaying. I remember, Helen, you talking about that when we did the Taiku episode with us. Mm-hmm. Being like how how accurate this is of the cosplay culture, she must have cosplayed, or had some close friends who did. Since I think like the only detail that ever stuck out to me that was incorrect was when I even brought up in that podcast, which had to do with um, dyeing wigs, and she was just suggesting like the wrong times oh. to dye wigs. Mm-hmm. Since occasionally the manga will have Nagisa ex- um, exposed off to some of the younger characters. Okay, yeah, here here's how we're doing some of the wig styling. You know, here's some of the tools we used to. Stuff your chest so you have anime character-sized boobs and all that jazz. The trick is lots of push-up bras. Or when they cosplay as boys and they're putting on the whatever they're called. Binders. Binders, Binders. Uh uh-huh. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's very simple. Mm -hmm. I thought there would be a complicated word. (laughs) Nah. Then she's like, no, you have to separate your breasts if you want to do this and have them not show. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, explaining... Explaining all these as- aspects, minor aspects of cosplay, kind of dips off in the middle volumes. A little bit, I think so. Yeah, especially since volume six didn't have the final volume didn't have as much cosplay. It was a lot about Nagisa really trying to figure out how she wants to keep going in her adult life, mm-hmm. and cosplay is starting to fit into it a little less since it is such a time-intensive hobby in a lot of ways. Right. Even if you can buy pre-made costumes and wigs, you generally have to do a bit of touch-up on your own. You're still going to events, you're still getting ready for those. You know, if you're doing photography like Kimiko is, then you know you've got to shoot at the events, and you've got to spend hours slaving away at Photoshop later, usually. This is a series I really want a lot of my cosplay friends to read, especially one or two who've kind of dropped away from the hobby themselves, just due to time. And I really miss cosplaying with them, so I really want them to read the story and... I don't know, maybe feel bad about not cosplaying with me anymore, but... <laughs> no, they're not yet. How have they not? Um, they just don't have time. They have adult lives, which means no time for hobbies, apparently. Uh, adult mm. lives. Adult yeah, lives. really. Overrated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think this series is even interesting. Like, I've cosplayed once, so that part of it was interesting, but I also think it's an interesting series just uh, watching her sort of, like Helen said, grow up. And sort of her interactions with other people and then sort of watching her become more self-aware. Um, she has those 
perfectionist tendencies in the beginning, but as we go on and she interacts with more characters and we see her job and her boss and her mother, I think that it's interesting to see how all of her uh, relationships change as she gets older um, and as she gets a little more sure of herself or at least sure that she's going somewhere, even if she doesn't know where the destination is. Um, I definitely think for me, that's something that I could really relate to. I liked the cosplay aspect of it. And I think um, I could relate to some of that, just even if you're involved um, in it a little bit, or even if you're involved with other friends that are into anime, so you go on road trips, you go to cons, et cetera. That part of it was relatable, but just the way that the author was, able to capture sort of being at that age and what that looks like was really relatable for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the first volume includes um, a one shot. um, The one shot that um, semi inspired this series. Um, The popularity of it is what kicked it off into a full series. And it's of someone who's doing Gothic Lolita and grows out of it in a much more extreme fashion. She ends up burning all of her clothes as we discover quite suddenly in the second volume, that's Nagisa's mom. So there's a tension for the reader in this whole series going forward of, is Nagisa going to have a good ending or not? Yeah, since mm-hmm. Nagisa's mother does seem fairly happy for her decision later on, but I always still felt it was kind of sad that she just had to, felt like she had to reject her hobby so yeah. completely to feel like she needed to move on with life. Right. Nagisa has that kind of moment in her own in volume five or six. She realizes that that's not the route she wants to go, even if that was cathartic at the time. Mm-hmm. But I really think that that was like a that dynamic between her mother and the way that her mother reacted and then how she eventually came around. That, for me, felt very true to life. Um, sometimes when you sort of come up and you sort of start to become like your parents or your parents can sort of see you going sort of down a similar path that maybe they wish they would have done or they don't want you to do like that whole exchange and the way their relationship sort of grew from that, that I, I don't see a lot of that in comics in general. So that really, that was, I liked that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Nagisa's parents, especially her mother are fairly major figures in the story as a whole, which is great. Yeah. The one thing I didn't quite like about the ending is that the last couple volumes of the manga sort of obsess over the idea that you basically either give up your hobbies as you turn older or you turn them into a different part of your life. Like Mm. when Nagisa meets one of her mother's cohorts, who's, sort of merged her love of gothic lolita with owning an antique store i disagree with that and that's something i feel like the actual real english-speaking cosplay community is dealing with right now with people aging and saying i still want to do this you know i should be able to still do this i shouldn't be judged for having a hobby as i get older and it's a problem i have with a lot of japanese media as well like especially soccer request recently it's kind of this idea that your life is your job and your job is your life. You know, you don't really have hobbies outside of it in some ways, which is a really extreme simplification here. But it seems to be that um, I feel like not a lot of fiction gives enough room for hobbies. And so I was a little sad that this story continued down that path some, but I was satisfied with the ending. I definitely... I've seen that at least some of, in some of like my real life anime circles where people sort of transition into different things that are sort of, sort of connected, but not, what's the word? I guess not direct. Like maybe they'll go staff a con or something because they feel like they sort of grown out of some of the other parts of fandom, but they've moved to a different one. So I can definitely see like some of the realism in that, but I also sort of had that sad feeling like, well, why do they have to sort of, 
come completely out of it. I, that I was definitely on the fence about that. And that's one of the things that I thought would be good to talk about here with you all. Cause yeah, I was definitely a little, I don't know. You don't have to give it completely up. I don't think that it's so black and white. And I don't think life in general tends to be that way. Yeah. They're talking about it very black and white. As you said, um, like you can, you have to choose to do that or not do it. And there's, there is the in between where like you can go into it when you have time, but come out of it when real life takes over. Yeah, and it's funny since like you said, the series definitely acknowledges that, and it acknowledges that you can do things like buy your cosplays and all that. And now you said acknowledges that part of what she enjoys is just that sort of obsession, um, obsessive state she gets into with making everything perfect and you know just the creation of the cosplay itself, which I really. Agree felt since that's the part I like the most about cosplay. I like just being able to make stuff. So I do kind of see from that point of view why she would have to figure out a way to make it a central part of her life. You know, just since it's a hobby that she does devote so much time to. But we have a couple other characters who step back from the cosplay as much. And um, Kimiko's resolution, I could certainly see why people do it. I've had a few friends who've gone down a similar path as her. But it still feels a little bit like they're just... I feel like you're giving up too easily. I feel, I feel like you yeah. just need to tell more people to shut it and keep doing what you love on your own terms. Yeah, and I think it was, for me, I think it was sort of the, not what she wound up necessarily doing that kept her connected, but I think it was her other personal stuff that was kind of like, well, just because you have this particular thing happen in your life doesn't necessarily mean that you have to step back. And... I think it just hit more of a personal chord for me. I'm like, well, just because this has happened to you or this part of your life has changed doesn't mean that you have to sort of step in the background. And that I was sad about their particular character. I really was. That was kind of hard for me to take. So mm-hmm. one thing I do wish they'd covered a little more in the last volume was um, two of the younger cosplayers that come into Nagisa's group, um, Aya and um, Shiho. Um since they're actually, by the end of the series, they're pretty close to the age that Nagisa and Kimiko were when they started considering giving up cosplay. Although those two hadn't been cosplaying as long. I think when we meet them, when they're about 20, is about the first time they've been cosplaying. But I was kind of wondering, I was kind of wishing we could have seen a little more of them. Because I did get the impression that the two of them are still pretty active in the community, going to um, Comic Head and taking photos and all that. The, the message of the manga seems to be to embrace what you love, no matter how good or bad you are at that. Because as long as you're having fun, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't. None of the none of the other stuff matters because you're enjoying yourself. But Kimiko, even though she is really good at cosplay and I mean, perhaps not as good as uh, Nagisa, she decides to give it up because she wants to give herself so fully to photography. I think she's using that more as an excuse rather than anything else. For sure. Like, I definitely got the impression that Kimiko has been feeling since the beginning that she just doesn't possess some of the same, we'll call it charisma that Nagisa has, Mm -hmm. which probably has to do with how Nagisa just carries herself and the facial features she was born with. It feels like that really has been eating at her for a long time, and Kimiko feels like she's never been able to close that gap, and it's just going to keep bothering her, which is sad. Yeah. I mean, it's it's true. Some folks have features that look nicer than others. Like, you know, there are some prettier folks, and there are some folks who are just a little less pretty. Which sounds <laughs> very bitchy to me, but this is why we have models. We have, you know, folks who other people agree, you look so good, you want to use your face. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess 
hadn't, I hadn't actually thought about that, that she was having trouble sort of closing that gap. Um, I think that it's interesting that they were able to maintain the majority of their relationships throughout the series because um, what you all are saying about the gap, I feel like that could have ended totally differently where they maybe they couldn't have maintained the friendship just because that gap was sort of eating at her. So everybody still seems kind of um, uh, amicable by the end of it, which mm, I was kind of like, I don't know. I could see people sort of falling off or it's, it's too much to have to face that person that's better than me or at a different level than me. And everybody still stays sort of amicable and okay at the end. Well, I think it's nice that we avoid the, you know, typical female friend cat fights that way then you know That's the people they, they do decide this friendship is worth more than me so i'm gonna keep it going that's true and i did like the the series focus on sort of female friendship and supportive female friendship right that it just that was interesting i don't feel like there were um a ton of male characters in the series although obviously there were i mean i don't feel like the series had a huge focus on romance when i was in the second i'm like oh wow we're gonna get to this whole series without any romance and then of course it obviously pops up in the middle but i almost felt like that situation um with nagisa was more uh to sort of place her in a situation where she had to figure out how to tell somebody um and that that's what more that experience was for her as opposed to like a, a romantic thing that she was like tormented over I did feel like the romance that came up in the middle came up pretty organically, like the situation where she meets a former classmate and the two of them start dating. I did feel like that felt fairly natural in the context of everything. I did, too. Yeah, that was definitely noticeable. I don't know if that means that, like, other romances and other manga come up really inorganically or what, but that was definitely like, oh, that's the way you meet somebody. So. Also, Kimiko's husband just seems like a real nice guy. He did. <laughs> he seems great. We'll meet him until, like, volume five or six for that. Yeah, since they look so far out of the way. <laughs> yeah, one thing I really liked about this series, and I'm going to take it, and I'm take, I've taken it away already, is that Nagisa comes to have an understanding that different people value different things about their cosplay. Mm. Like for her, she values her cosplay as being really accurate, and that's an okay standard for her to apply to herself. But it's not a standard that everybody wants to apply to themselves. Some folks really are doing it more for the fun. And so she shouldn't get so snippy about seeing sloppy sewing on other people's cosplays. She doesn't know if they were trying really hard to be perfectionist or if they were saying, okay, yeah, I'm happy with this. I'm doing this for the fun, which is something I'm taking with myself since I also all go to cons and I'll just immediately notice like, oh, so-and-so could have done that a little better. Oh, that doesn't look as good. I don't say anything because I do have some tact in life, thank God. (laughs) Except when people are less pretty. (laughs) Well, I'm not saying that here. It's not going to go up. I'm totally joking. (laughs) Excuse you. (laughs) But yeah, it it helped me understand, like, you know, since you do see a lot of people at cons and it's like, why did you wear that outfit? Although part of it's also that, you know, cosplay is one of those hobbies where you can slave over something for hours and hours and it's and you still look at it and go, this looks like a hot mess. Mm. But I thought that Nagisa's understanding that um, I do this one way and other people do it that way. I feel like that's a seemingly simple concept, but not one that's talked about enough in the cosplay community. Right. And then in the last volume, she has to talk herself out of judging people like this because mm-hmm. like she doesn't need- 
now thank God she's not saying it to people out loud, but she's yes. still thinking these things, and she wants to try to get herself out of that mindset even. Mm-hmm. Well, just the fact that she was self-aware enough to catch herself, I think, is sort of the growth that part of the growth that she's gone through in those six volumes. Because I mean, uh, some folks never make it there, so the <laughs> fact that she was even able to catch herself and say, "Hey, you know, this works for me, but it doesn't work for everybody else," and it also gives her the room to sort of change her standards. If she realizes that there are other standards for other people, it also gives her the room to change the standards for herself. So. Complex Age is a really good manga, y'all. It's it very is, good. It's a really good, it's not just, actually, I think it's seinen, but it's about adult women with relationships with each other and navigating adult life, and it's just really, really good. Also, I totally want to see whatever Magical Girl series they're all cosplaying from, since it looks yeah. pretty cute. <laughs> it does look cute, yeah. So, Helen, are you going to cosplay anyone from Complex Age? <laughs> I really was trying to make her outfit, um, her, um, Ruhara outfit. I was really trying to do it for Otakon, but I was just so worried that the series wouldn't end well that I decided to put it off a little bit. I'm go- I am going to try and finish it up soon, though, because I was like, it'd be really cool if I was cosplaying a 26-year-old character as a 26-year-old. <laughs> yeah, it would. <laughs> I'm like, but maybe I'll look more like the 20-year-old character who cosplays the same character. Maybe I'm not going to try That will be meta. Also, I really wish we had studios in the U.S. where we could, like, it was photo um yeah, photo studios that. of all the locations i really wish we had those in the u.s because that would be so great instead of trying to find like that one piece of the convention center which kind of looks like your character setting yeah i thought that that was really neat yeah because at least here you people go to public libraries and things and stand on the steps and it would just be nice to see you know have a, a particular space that you could go to mm-hmm. perhaps someday Maybe, maybe. When Helen turns 30, she's going to open up her own cosplay shoot. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although, when I'm 30, I might have money to finally afford a surger. That'd be exciting. <laughs> well, if anyone wants to continue hearing me talk about cosplay, you can certainly find me on Twitter, at Wandering Dreamer, where I yell about a lot of things. And I do yell about cosplay, whether it's being, oh my god, these sleeves are driving me up a wall, or it's like, oh, look at this cosplay. Where can we find you guys online? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mangio Ren, um, and I'm also at uh, the organization for Antisocial Geniuses, where I do editing work. Um, but I'm mostly on Twitter. I am mostly on Twitter, so you can find me there. Yep, and I'm on Twitter at Impassionate K. Do I do anything else? <laughs> I write a fan post sometimes about manga, not about complex age though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to. I need to actually do my written review for. April to look over soon for the OASD, but that's not going to be for a couple of weeks now. I've got to get through some other manga first. I feel like if we still had, if the uh, manga blogging community still had those movable feasts, um, that Complex Age would be a great series to talk about, but we don't have those anymore. So. <laughs> no, neither, none of us have enough cloud to restart those. No, I, at least I don't. So. I don't. This would be a great series to talk about, so you all should to tweet us online to talk about this series. It's great. We can't just let it fall off. So We will very eagerly talk about this more <laughs> on Twitter, in person, wherever. Just hit us up. <laughs> and that's it for us, guys. See you next time. Bye. Thank you.